So, we're in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, we're looking at verses 15 through 21. This morning, last week, we looked at verses 12 through 14. And, um, wow, I'm really starting late today, so I don't know what's going to happen. Let me think here. Okay. Well, let me... Let me just remind you a few things, because I'm trying to figure out what I can include and what I need to cut. 12 through 14, we looked at last week, and if you were here, you remember I said these are some of the most difficult passages within the book of Romans to understand, actually the entire section. The section I'm, we're considering is 12 through 21, but we took that piece, 12 through 14, last week. So this entire section is one of the most difficult, it's understood to be, in the book of Romans, maybe in all of Paul's writings, Okay? So there's a lot of debate that goes back and forth about exactly what Paul's getting at. Let me just remind you, we talked about, in case you weren't here, and if you weren't here, I'm going to really encourage you, go back and listen to the message online, because there's stuff there you need to hear that I'm not going to be able to do today because of time. Sin entered the world through one man and his one act of disobedience. Who was that man, for those of you who are here? Adam. And through his sin, what entered into the world? Death, death, because God told Adam, when you do this, when you violate this command that I've given you concerning this tree in the garden, you will die. And that is certainly what eventually happened to Adam, right? Death came upon the world. And Paul tells us, listen, I'm telling you this because I'm, I'm trying to teach you something, that through the actions of one man, many are impacted, all right? The destiny of many is, even, is, is affected, And we see that in Adam. And we talked about the fact that what Paul's teaching us there is that the entire world, death came to the entire world because all sinned. And we said because all sinned in Adam. In Adam. And that's a difficult thing to kind of get our our minds around. But I talked to you last week about this. What do you mean we sinned in Adam? I mean that we sinned in and with Adam. His sin is understood to be now our sin. You go, I don't understand. I wasn't there. I understand you weren't there. And there's a couple of different ways. I wasn't in the garden. I didn't do it. Why is it my fault? Two ways we've understood that is, one, Adam is the head of the human race. Adam was the first man. And so some people call this uh, seminal representation. The idea is this, that we were in the loins of Adam. In the loins of Adam. We were there in his seed. All of humanity was there. He was the first one. He's at the head. All of humanity has come from Adam. Okay? So in that sense, we were there with him, participating with him in that sin. That's one way to understand it. And we turn to Hebrews, and I showed you that that's not crazy talk. That is uh, an an example. I gave you an example of that in Hebrews with Levi and Abraham and Melchizedek. Do you remember all that? I'm not going to repeat it all, so if you weren't here, get that. If you're like, whoa, this is all confusing, you need to listen to that. But I'm just trying to bring you along so we can get into this now this morning. Okay, and then the other way to understand that is that Adam's sin, his guilt, was simply imputed to us by God. So that's called federal representation. In other words, he, as the head of humanity, represents humanity so that his act of disobedience became our act of disobedience. That means we're all guilty. That means we're born guilty. That means nobody is innocent, right? So we talk about kids all the time. We go, oh, they're so innocent. They are in a sense, right? Because they haven't grown up into little monsters yet, right? They haven't taken on some of the world's 
hatred and these kind of things. They haven't begun to demonstrate their sin nature. So when they're really tiny, you go, oh, so cute, so innocent. But they are not innocent in the sense of being innocent before God. Every person born into this world is born of Adam. They come from Adam. And so they, A, are imputed with the guilt of Adam, or you could understand that they inherit the guilt of Adam. Either way, they come into the world guilty and condemned and worthy of death. And that is why all die. Do you remember this from last week? Okay. So, they all die because of the actions of Adam. That's the point you need to get. The actions of one person are counted as the actions of many others, and no one is innocent before God. I read this thing to you called the imputation of sin out of a theological dictionary, and it goes like this. God, what is, what, how do I understand this imputation of sin? God reckoning or regarding a person as a sinner on the basis of an action of another particularly in reference to the imputation of the sin of Adam to all subsequent humanity. All of humanity that flowed out of Adam, that's all of us. There's nobody else. There's not Adam and another guy. It's just Adam, first man. Humanity came from him. They inherited or have been imputed the sin and guilt of Adam. That's how God decided to do it, guys. And we said, hey, that's not fair. And go, okay, that's okay. You, you, do you think you would have been done better than Adam? Adam was the best representation we could have had of humanity, and he blew it. And there's no reason to think we wouldn't have blown it as well. But then we started to talk about Christ, right? What Christ did, his acts were imputed to us. His righteousness was incredited to us. Is that fair? No, it's not fair. We should not have got it. And this is how God does it. This is how he does it. So, He's going to give us Adam, he explains to us Adam, he introduces us to Adam to show us the, the similarity between Adam and Christ. And why is he doing that? Well, we believe he's been talking about in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5 about this, this fact that, you know, Christ, through Christ we have peace, through Christ we have justification, through Christ we have eternal life, it's for sure. Well, how is it that through one man this comes about to all these people. How does that work exactly? And I think that's what Paul's doing. He's explaining it now, beginning in verses 12 all the way to 21. This is how it works. This is how God has set up his world, his salvation. He's showing us through one man, the world became guilty. Through one man, the world can be made right. You understand? Through what he did, not through what we do. That's the, that's the big thing, okay? So here's, even though when we start to drill down into the details of this passage, of this section, you can start to get lost or there's debates and stuff. You need to see the big picture. You've got to take away the big picture. And there's, there's, there seems to be a, a lot of agreement concerning the big takeaways from this section. There might be some difference of opinion about some of the details, okay? But the big takeaway is understood. Here it is. Here's a couple of them. Every person I gave this last week Every person stands in relationship to either Adam or Christ. And this is significant because we learn, as I've been saying, that it is the actions or acts of these two men that determine the eternal destiny of all who belong to them. That's the first big takeaway. Secondly, we'll look at this today, the disobedience of Adam and the devastating consequences of his sin upon humanity are more than overcome by the obedience of Jesus Christ. 
That is, the consequences of Adam's sin, I'm saying it another way now, the consequences of Adam's sin are overcome by all those who are in Christ. In Christ. Who have a saving relationship with Christ. For all those who have trusted and are trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And beloved, that's important to understand. You can't miss that. Because if you miss it, you're going to miss this text. You're going to miss what it really means. We are all in Adam. We come into this world through Adam. But that's automatic. Okay? But being in Christ is not. You get into Christ. You get into a relationship with Christ through faith. Through faith. So while Adam brings ruin and devastation to all of humanity, Christ redeems humanity that has placed their faith in him. That's important. Okay? Not everyone does that. Therefore, many still suffer the fatal consequences of Adam's sin. And, you know, we talked about this. We've been talking mostly about, well, isn't he just talking about physical death? Primarily, he's talking about, yes, Adam's sin and death came into the world. But when you look at what the Bible says about death, death primarily, when you look at it biblically, is simply separation. Okay? I've explained this to you, I think, before, but let me try it again. Separation. When you die, your soul is separated from your body. Okay? Right? Body goes into the ground, soul goes somewhere. Separation. In the Bible, death is separation, so there's a physical death, but there's also a spiritual death. By that I mean, sin brings about a separation between our soul and God. A separation. There's a break in the relationship. There's an estrangement that happens, a separation between us and our Creator because of sin. Christ fixes all of that. Christ restores all of that. Christ gives us life, eternal. Not only an everlasting physical life in a glorified body, but our relationship is restored again. Our soul is brought back into union with God. Why? Because the thing that separated us has been removed. What is that? Sin. Our guilt. Okay? I don't know what he's talking about. But I hope you do, because this is very, very important. So that, like when you go to Colossians 2, Ephesians 2, I have no idea. I'm not even off the, off the first page, and it's already 1125. Uh, you guys are in trouble, or I'm in trouble. I don't know. But listen, this is, I, I was so excited, because I really want to get this so good, so good, this section. Ephesians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, Paul's writing there. You'll see he'll say things like, you were dead in your sins and trespasses, but now in Christ you have been made alive. What is he talking about? I was dead in my sins and trespasses. I'm alive. What is he talking about? Dead, separated from God, cut off from communion with him. That relationship has been messed up through sin. So just remember, when we think about physical death, that's not the only consequence of sin. Spiritual death is the other consequence. And the Bible speaks of a second death. A second death. What's that? In Revelation, right? At the end of of Revelation, Revelation 21, there's a second death. You know what that is? That's where sinners who are unredeemed, who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, are permanently removed from God forever in a place of torment called hell. 
That's the second death. Christians will never experience that death, ever. They have eternal life. They will be restored. They are restored, and they will live with God forever. All right, so just, again, there's a lot of details to this stuff, and I'm giving you general, general ideas just so that you understand this and can kind of make sense of it. So I gave you an outline, verses 12 through 14. It's really an intro. Paul introduces us to Adam and Christ, these two men, and, and he's, he's setting this up. He's explaining to us how it is that one man's actions can affect so many. All right? And then in 13 through 17, he's going to contrast Adam and Christ. He's going to contrast them, give us contrast, differences. And then 18 through 21, we come back, and Adam and Christ are compared again, and we see how it is they're similar. Let's read the text. Chapter 5, verse 12. Let's begin there. Paul says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. We talked about all this last week. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass, that's Adam's, brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. We're going to stop right there. We're going to stop right there. Um, let's, there's an outline inside of your bulletin. And what we're going to do is we're going to begin to consider, we're certainly not going to finish it, we're just going to get started. We're going to begin to consider the contrast and comparison that Paul makes between Adam and Christ, very simple, so that we might fully rest and rejoice in what Christ has done, what he has done. And so there's just two points in your outline, and there's going to be stuff you can stick under there. Adam and Christ contrasted. We're going to look at the different contrasts that Paul gives us. They're important. They're significant. We need to understand them. And then Adam and Christ compared. Okay? You with me so far? I know I'm speaking a lot faster. And... You guys awake? Okay. All right. Stay with me. Paul states at the end of verse 14 that Adam was a type of the one to come. I just read it. He was a type of the one to come, which means that Adam, you guys know who Adam is, right? Adam is similar to Jesus Christ in some way. That's what Paul said. He's similar to Jesus Christ. He was a type of the one who was going to come. That's a reference to Jesus Christ. And how they are similar is something I briefly explained at the end of the sermon last week and something that we're going to look at again in more detail, especially if you want to look at it for yourself, read verses 18 and 19. Not now. Not now. Thomas, I said not now. All right, 18 and 19, okay? That is where you'll really see that similarity. Boom, he's going he's gonna to drive it home. But the basic idea, because I'm going to give it to you so you don't have to look at it, Thomas, the similarity between these two men, Jesus and Adam, here's the basic similarity. It lies in the fact, I keep saying the same thing all over again, that all who belong to Adam are affected by what Adam did just as, here's a similarity, all those who belong to Christ are affected by what Christ did. Can you get that big picture? That, I got, that's what I want you to watch. The details, we can talk about the details, but that's the big one you need to see here. So with Adam, the, what follows, it's all negative. 
It's all negative. What follows with Christ, it's all positive. All positive. In both cases, it is the specific actions of these two men that affects the destiny of all who belong to them or stand in relation to them. But that is where the similarity ends. That is where the similarity ends. Right after Paul mentions that Adam was a type of Christ, he does it at the end of verse 14, he, beginning in 15, pauses now. He pauses. He's going to come back to the similarity in 18 and 19, but right now he's got to stop. He's saying, I just said this guy is like this guy, but whoa, let me back up just a second. And I want to talk to you about how they're actually very, very different. Okay, so he's going to address that how their actions are different, how what they did was different, and how the effects of what they did are certainly different. Okay? You agree with me? So we can follow the logic here, so we can understand what Paul was communicating. One writer says, to be sure, okay, to be sure concerning this, there is a superficial similarity between them, Adam and Christ, in that each one is one man through whose one deeds... Indeed, enormous numbers of people have been affected. Okay? So there's a superficial similarity. Superficial. Surface. On the surface, when we look at these two men, we can see the similarity. But the second I drop below the surface, when I begin to explore it, I find out right away there's a big difference. And the writer goes on to say, but there is without a doubt that, or there without a doubt, the likeness between the men's. And then he says, how can the Lord of glory... Be likened to the man of shame. The Savior to the sinner. The giver of life to the broker of death. I like that one. The broker of death. That's what Adam is. What is Christ? The giver of life. Now before we dive into the contrast between Adam and Christ, I want to quickly point out something else. Okay, are you looking at your Bibles? Several times Paul uses the word many. The word many. You can look down there, you'll see it in this section to refer to people, like in verse 15. Look at verse 15 where he states that many, many died through one man's trespass. Now listen, while many simply refers to a great number, okay? We know based on the context that many, in this first part of verse 15, where Paul says that many died through one man's trespass, you guys see it? Must clearly include all people. It must clearly include all people because, and, and by the way, all people is certainly a great number, right? So there's no conflict here. To say many, but also to be referring to all people, there's no conflict. And we know that because Paul has already said in verse 12, with reference to the sin of Adam, that all died. All died. No one escapes this. So the many is all. But listen, listen carefully. The number or the extent of those that are included in the many is not really Paul's emphasis in this section of Romans. That's not, that's not what he's trying to stress here. Rather, the point Paul is stressing is that one man's actions, one, okay, has affected a considerable amount of people. The one has affected the many. And the, and the reason I'm pointing that out to you is because people sometimes, not understanding simple things about this, read this passage, right? Look, look back at the, 
the passage, Romans 15. I mean, Romans 15. Romans uh, 5, 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, well, that means all, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And so they try to stress that it must mean the same thing, that what Christ has done then has taken care of everybody in the sense that it really has taken care of them completely. And what you walk away with then is universalism, which means everyone will be saved. Everyone will be saved. I wish that was, I, 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 for me as a human being, I do wish that was true. But we know that that is not the case, right? Not everyone is saved. So I only point that word out many to you to realize Paul is not trying to, he's not trying to make an emphasis about how many he's thinking about here. He's just saying a great many. Leave it at that because that's all it is. Certainly the many we know from the context the first time he says it, it certainly means all. But don't then go and say, okay, he means all again. No, he just means a great number of people. So we know a great number of people, an innumerable number, will be saved, will experience the benefits of Jesus Christ. But it's not every single human being. It's not. Okay? Because not all will place faith in him. Not all will trust him as their salvation. So, let's look at verse 15. The free gift is not like the trespass. The free gift, but the free gift is not like the trespass. Here's the first thing. He wants to stop, right? He's making a contrast here concerning Adam and Christ. The trespass or sin of Adam, that's what he's talking about, is not like or is different than the free gift of Christ. But in what sense and in what way? I mean, he just says that, right? But how, okay, what, what does he mean exactly? We know there's something different, but in what sense? Well, we're going to get to that. But first, we need to ask, what is the free gift of Christ that Paul is contrasting with the trespass of Adam, this free gift? Some commentators argue that because he's contrasting Adam and Christ, okay? So the trespass is Adam's, the free gift is Christ. You with me? So what exactly is this free gift of Christ? Because I need to kind of ask that question in order to understand the meaning of what Paul's getting at. All right, some commentators argue that this is simply a reference to our salvation that comes through Christ. Hey, that makes sense, right? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life, our salvation. Okay, so maybe that's what he's referring to. Others believe that it is the free gift of righteousness. The free gift of righteousness or a righteous status before God that God freely gives to all those who have trusted in Christ. And you go, hey, where'd they get that from? And by the way, they may be right. They could be right about this, and I'll tell you why. The immediate context, the verses that surround this one, verse 17, you'll find the phrase there, free gift of righteousness. Free gift of righteousness. It's a, it's a gift given through Christ by God to his people who have faith that makes them right before God. We've talked about this. It's justification. Okay, they could be right. However, I take a different position. In light of the contrast that is being made with Adam's act, what he did, what he did, his trespass, I think it makes more sense to understand the free gift here as being a reference to the obedient act of Christ rather than to the effects of that act. Okay? So in other words, when we, we say, oh, it's salvation, or it's, it's this righteous status that we have. That's the free gift. 
that's a focus on what the effect of what Christ did was. Okay? But I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. I think he's talking about specifically the act itself because that's what he brings up as a contrast, the act of Adam, which was his trespass. So he's going to make a comparison between the two acts, what they did. Are you with me? Okay. In this verse, one writer says, gift means not the gift given to the believer, as is usually the case when Paul uses this kind of language. That's usually how, what it means. But rather the act of Christ himself. That's the free gift. Now again, these are details, but I'll show you how I think this makes sense as we move along, all right? Either way, whether I think it's the salvation, I think it's our salvation or the righteousness, our righteous status, I'm still going to end up in the same place. But these are some of the details that are discussed and debated among Bible scholars, Bible teachers. So then, here we go. Putting the end of verse 14, where Paul says, hey, Adam is a type of the one who was to come. He's similar. And the first part of 15 together, let's put them together now based on what I've told you, it appears that what Paul is saying is, yes, Adam is a type of Christ in the sense that in both cases their one act affects the many, but listen, make no mistake about it, the very acts themselves of these two men are very different. Are very different. You follow that logic? Okay. But in what sense? In what sense now? Now we've got to answer that question. Now we understand what's being contrasted. In what sense are they different? What's Paul going to emphasize? And he's going to make, he's going to make several contrasts through these verses. But here's the first one. In what sense? Well, after studying the passage, and we're only going to be able to look at the first one uh, today, I, and, and looking over and studying what others say, I believe the difference that Paul is highlighting here, hear me, I'm going to start to speak a little bit slower, slow it down a little bit, is a difference in the effectiveness of these two acts. It is a difference in the effectiveness of these two acts. I'm going to explain, so stay with me. So that is to say, one is more effective than the other. One is more effective than the other. One goes even further than the other in what it accomplishes. One goes even further than the other in what it accomplishes. Or you could say Paul is wanting us to understand that the act or free gift of Christ, the act of Christ or his free gift, is far more effective than the act of Adam or Adam's offense or trespass. Or I'm going to say it another way. The good, the good of what Christ has done far exceeds the bad of what Adam has done in every way. Or I'm going to say it another way. Christ's act is far more potent and powerful than Adam's act. Now let me attempt to show you, show you why I believe that is the basic idea here. We'll go a little bit over, just a little bit. Look back at your Bible, Romans chapter 5, verse 15. Paul says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. Yes, Paul, would you help me understand what you mean by that? Okay, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded 
for many. Now you say, yeah, you poured a lot of feeling into that, but I'm still not sure what that all means. And the reason I'm pouring some feeling into that is because I believe I know exactly what that means, and it's awesome. All right, listen. Paul says the free gift is not like the trespass, and he's basically just now providing an additional statement to help us understand what he is getting at. I hope you realize when I'm up here and I'm talking to you and explaining this to you, I'm also trying to help you know how to interpret the Bible for yourselves, to read it rightly, to get what it means, right? I'm trying to, I'm showing you kind of the process. I don't always do that, and I probably don't always do it well, but I I am trying to do that. Now, notice the phrase, much more. Do you see that phrase, much more? Do you remember that phrase? Do you remember that? Didn't we just talk about this phrase, right? He uses it again in verse 17, but do you remember when we were in Romans chapter, well, we are in still Romans chapter 5, but remember we were looking at verses 10 and 11, 10 10 and 11, and you found it there, right? The much more, and do you remember that I explained to you that when we looked at those verses, that when he uses this phrase much more, it is a way, it's a a way of reasoning or arguing for for a particular point. And so he's saying this, that if this thing is true, then this other thing must certainly be true. That's the much more. That's the idea. Remember I said to you, um, I gave you the example, the illustration. If Ali, I'm going to change it though this time. I think last time I said, if, if, uh, if I can't open the jar of pickles, if I can't open it, then much more Ali cannot open that jar of pickles. Okay, right? Because the idea is if I can't open it and I'm the one that can open any jar that she can't, because I'm stronger in this case, then uh, she, she certainly can't open that jar of pickles. Did you understand? If this is true, then this certainly is true, right? So I could even say this. I could say it this way. If Allie can open the jar of pickles, then certainly I can open the jar of pickles. I know I'm exaggerating and all that, and kind of, but I want you to see, because who cares about pickles? But we really, it matters now. It matters now here. The logic matters. So listen. So what I believe Paul is saying in verse 15, this is ah, good. If, if the trespass or sinful act, and it's not if like, I don't know if that's the case. He's saying since this is so, if the trespass or sinful act of that one man, Adam, had the effect, and it did, because we know, of producing the ruin of many. The evidence is more than clear. Everyone's dying. Okay. then it must certainly be true. Or we have every reason to expect that God's act of grace... Oh, he brings this word in, right? Do you remember that word? Oh, it's the sweetest word it should be to the Christian's ears. Unmerited kindness and favor of God. Poured out on those that don't deserve it. Not withheld in any way, just... Pour it out. All right, listen. Then we must have every reason to expect that God's act of grace, listen, in and through this one man, not any man, beloved, Jesus Christ. That's the man we're talking about now. A grace that, by the way, abounds. (laughs) That word right there, I think the NIV translates it, overflows. That's a good way to understand it. Overflows. It's excessive. It's more than enough. It's, it's just coming out crazy. Filling the cup and spilling over. Right? 
it will have an even greater effect on humanity. It will do greater good for humanity. Christ act, it must, than Adam's act that ruined humanity. Listen, God's gift in Christ has the power, right? Think about it. We're talking about, we're talking about now God's grace. Christ is clothed in God's grace. He, he came as a result of God's grace. It's all about his grace. It's powerful, overabounding, right? Super grace in this powerful man, Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh. That one, the powerful one. If, if Adam could do that, and he did this, then there's no doubt in my mind that what Christ has done will go even further to impact humanity for the good. That's the, that's, that, I believe, is the idea. Listen, Christ's act doesn't just bring us back. Think about it. You know, what Adam did, he ruined us, but Christ's act doesn't just bring us back to neutral he doesn't just bring us back like to where Adam was before he messed up. He doesn't do that. See, all Adam could do was he could bring us low, right? But Christ doesn't, he just brings us low. Christ doesn't just say, okay, let's start over. I'll bring you back right to where Adam was. He doesn't do that. Not only does he reverse the curse of Adam, but he brings us to a new place. He makes us righteous before God. Righteous. He gives us a righteous status. Perfectly righteous. Adam didn't have that, beloved. Adam didn't have that. Adam was neutral. He makes us something even greater than Adam. Righteous. We have the righteousness of Christ. He grants us something, Adam, to eternal life with God. We have it. We are possessors of it. Christ goes further in what he did. Here's, here's a great theologian of the past. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Great theologian. I don't want to be, but I have to be. John Calvin, right? John Calvin, way long, long time ago. Here's what he said concerning this passage. He put it this way. If Adam's fall had the effect of producing the ruin of many, then the grace of God, and you could say in Christ, is much more efficacious, much more effective, much more powerful in benefiting many, since Christ is much more powerful to save than Adam is to ruin. Than Adam is to ruin. Here's another one from another commentator. A natural inference from these words. What is inference? It's just a natural conclusion that we could draw from these words. Here's what a takeaway is, is that a greater gift belonged to humanity because of God's grace in Christ than our liability because of Adam's sin. One more. This is a teaching pastor over at Foothill Bible Church. Relatively speaking, Adam's one transgression produced a catastrophe of death, but the potent grace of God in Christ more than offset it. More than offset it. And consider this as well, beloved. What Adam did, what Adam did was more than overcome by what Christ did. More than overcome. But what Christ did will never be overcome by anyone. You see that? We sang that, right? Cannot, cannot. Look, look, at, look at Romans. You're in Romans, right? We're going to end here. Romans 8. Romans 8, we'll get there. 
someday. Romans 8, 35. You know this passage. Read 35, 37, right? What Christ did can never be overcome. Paul says, speaking about the believer, speaking about the one who has faith in him, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Let me ask you that question. Who? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Any of those things? Look at 37. No! Just in case you were wondering what the answer was, it's no! In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Now listen, it's not like I'm something. I'm not something. You're nothing. I'm nothing. It's not like I'm big and bad. That's why I stand strong in Christ. No, I'm more than a conqueror. Through who? Through Him. Through Him, I'm a conqueror. It's because of what He has done who loved us. For I am sure I am certain that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, in case I forgot anything, will be able to separate us from the love of God in, in Christ Jesus the Lord. It comes through him. We are conquerors through him. Through him, everything that Adam did is wiped out. And he goes further. Not only does he remove the curse, but he places us in a position of righteousness. He gives us a righteous status before God so that we will forever be acceptable to God and can have eternal life with him. Beloved, that's just the first contrast. And I, wow, I wanted to get to the second one because it just gets better. That's the first one. Listen. If you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in trouble. That's, i got to keep telling you that. i got to keep saying that to you. And some of you, I'm, I would fear, not because I'm thinking about particular people, but just knowing as a pastor, there's people who think they have a relationship with them, and they don't. They don't really have one. There's no evidence in their life, really. They think maybe because they said a prayer, you know, when they were six years old, or they walked an aisle at some big event. And they said, hey, I believe in Jesus. They think they're good. Beloved, if you really have saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to show up in your life. Okay? It's going to show up in your life. It is going to have an impact on you. It is going to change you. And if there's no evidence for that, I'm not talking about like Christians don't sin anymore. They do. But it's different. It should be different. When they sin, they have a desire to turn now from that, to repent. Does that mean they never do it again? I wish that was true. They struggle with sin, but it's a struggle. It's an actual struggle. They don't just say, hey, sin, yeah, whatever. They don't continue to live in unrepentant sin. They don't have a lifestyle, a sin pattern that just continues to live in their life without any regret. Like they just go on doing it. That's how the world lives. That's how the lost live. That's how the unredeemed live. So I said all that to say, some of you think you're saved, think you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't, you don't. You really need to think about this. Because if you don't, if you're not in Christ, then all of these things that we're talking about do not apply to you. They don't. Instead, you are only an in Adam. That's your head. That's your representative. That means you still stand condemned before God. Still guilty. You understand what I'm saying? You don't have eternal life. You don't have a righteous status. You're there all by yourself. Listen, I don't want to be there all by myself before God. I'm, 
hiding in Christ. That's where I want to be. That's the safe place, hiding in Christ. But you don't get into Christ without coming to him and, and repenting and putting your faith in him completely and saying, Lord, come into my life. I trust these things. I believe these things. I need you so badly. I need you as my Savior. I believe you to be Lord. Come into my life. You do that sincerely. Boom. Something happens. You're born again. You now are put into Christ. You understand? You once were represented by that man of shame, that broker of death. No longer. You're represented by the man of grace, the broker of life, the giver of life, the lover of souls. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this time and uh, Lord, I just I pray that these things would be meaningful to people that wouldn't just be another sermon, but they would you know take the time, Father, that they would work through them themselves, that they would I, I, I pray, Lord, that what is said here might even spur people on to further study, that they would look into these truths themselves, that these things could become their own deep-held convictions, because that's what really begins to move us, Father. When we begin not just to believe them because pastor said so, or my mom and dad said so, or grandpa and grandma said so, but we begin to believe them because we see them too. We understand them to be true. We hold these convictions deep in our heart. That's what begins to move us. Father, would you move in that way? Would you cause us to to hear the truth of your word and and let it become a deep-rooted conviction that moves us, that transforms us? Father, as we're, we're looking at this stuff, it is the gospel. It is the, the details, the beauty, the beautiful facets of this diamond that we call the gospel. And oh, how it shines brilliantly. And here, as we're just discussing, Father, as it's been laid out in your word and you've given it to us, thank you that you have decided to, to kind of bring about your plan through two men, two men, Adam and Christ. And Father, in Adam we have all been ruined, ruined, made guilty before you, and we stand under your condemnation. Father, we've, we, even, we are born with the nature like Adam. So, so Father, we, we are born even with a sin nature. It doesn't take long before we find out that we're just like him, man. We're just like him. Sinners to the core. Rebels. Thank you, God, for the other man. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the God-man, God in the flesh, your beloved Son, Father. The second Adam, the perfect one, the one who would come and restore and redeem humanity, who would reverse the curse of Adam, reverse the plague who would come and bring life and righteousness for us sinners, for every single one of us who would bow before him as Lord and cry out to him for mercy as Savior and receive it in full. Thank you for these things, Lord. May they move our hearts. May they change our lives. 
In Christ's name, amen.